Hello, and welcome to Glory Be, interesting people and how they pray. Each week, we chat with interesting people about their lives, their work, and how they pray. I'm Sharon Hanish. And I'm Mike Malcolm. And this is my friend, Father Josh Litwack. We go way, way, way back to high school. Father Litwack was ordained to the priesthood in the year 2000, 22 years ago. Old guy. Uh, He grew up in California, Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas. He is a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature from the great St. Meinrad Seminary College, an MA in Christian Thought and Life, also from St. Meinrad, an MDiv from St. Meinrad, and completed a a three-year certificate program in spiritual direction at St. Meinrad. Welcome to the podcast, Father Josh. Thank you, Mike. Sharon, great to be with you. So you should get sponsorship or something from St. Meinrad at this point. (laughs) So we need, they'll name you alumni of the year. Okay, that'd be great. So many of your dollars have gone to Uh St. Meinrad, right? That's right. So uh, tell me about St. Meinrad. What got you there in the first place? Well, I actually, um, after I was... Heading towards end of my high school career at Bishop Kelly, I contacted uh, Monsignor Dorney because he was vocation director at the time. Because I had this um, inkling that God was calling me to be a priest, and because um, I, uh, the story goes. <clears throat> so when I was younger, I was about seven. Mom and Dad wanted me to uh, get some social interaction do something outside. And so I signed myself up, or my parents signed me up for uh, T-ball. And uh, I'm not very sports-orientated. I didn't know what T-ball was, and gradually understood what that was. And so we are living in Telequa at this time, and we go into St. Bridges Catholic Church, which is uh, just so happy across the street from the practice fields at NSU, where we're practicing t-ball. And so um, my very first practice, uh, the coach told me, go up there and try to hit the ball. And those of you who don't know what t-ball are, is is just a little pole, you have a ball on it, you try to hit the ball. No one's pitching at you or anything. And so <clears throat> I struck out. Yeah. <laughs> It happens. So I don't know if it happens very often, but yes. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I, I see it. You know, God was offering vocations in my life mm-hmm. to be a, a T-ball champion of the world or to be something even great as a Catholic priest. <laughs> and so I've been thinking about it a little bit, not much, but then I... Um, I need to go use the restroom, so I asked the coach, can I go across the street? I know the priest. Uh, I got to go to the restroom. And yes, I had to go to the restroom, but I was just very uh, disappointed in myself and yeah. striking out, and I, you know, I just needed that alone time. So I walked over and talked to Father Jake Mills. He was out working on the uh, flower garden in front of the rectory there, and we struck a nice conversation. Went to use the restroom, came back, finished our conversation, and I remember walking away. I want to be just like him. Yeah. I want to, to help people grow in their relationship with God. And um, so Father Mills was a good friend of our family uh, there in Tahlequah for a long time. And so that moment, I remember walking back to the ball field. I said, man, that would be really good, you know, to, to be a person like him. And so that always stuck with me. 
And to get back to your question, uh, as I was ending my senior year in high school, I met with Monsignor Dorney and went through the seminary process, and the diocese accepted me, thank God. And then um, I ended up going to St. Mindred. I had never been there before, but um, right away I felt it was a great spot, great place uh, to discern my vocation, but also... Um, just get a great general education as well. Well, that's quite a leap of faith to go to a place 600 miles away from home. Yeah. And it's pretty remote. Yeah. There's not a lot else out there. There's some turkeys and cows and cornfields, Corn, yeah. but that's it. So you, have, so you got out there, and um, what was your first year like in seminary? Well, it was a lot of, a lot of learning, you know, a little homesick. But uh, I just learned a lot about basics, you know, kind of like you would in many other colleges, uh, English, math, science, and things like that. But obviously, with the addition of uh, learning theology and the very roots of that, which was different and uh, not dating, you know, uh, but our life was very much oriented towards prayer and discernment, but, uh, you know, just enjoying the opportunity to be there, too. Yeah. So you go to college, and you get a degree. Yep. Then you go on to, but you stay. You stayed at St. Minard, but then you do a few other degrees. I mean, you say you, you first got your Bachelor of Arts in English, so then you, why did you do the Master of Arts in Christian Thought and Life? Why not just go straight to get your MDiv? Because well, a lot but, of, pre- not mm-hmm. every priest has that. It was uh, maybe unique to St. Minerit at the time, the School of Theology. It was a program that on your process towards getting the Master of Divinity, you also were studying at the same time for that other master's. Okay. So just part of the general program. But uh, it was good, good, good additional information. And then you come back to Tulsa. Mm-hmm. You've been in a number of different places I right have. now. Uh, the most recent thing that was announced in the diocese is that you will soon be uh, in July, taking over as pastor at St. Pius. Yes. How are you feeling about that and about all um, the different places you've been and how they've prepared you for this new assignment? Well, I'll start at the beginning. <laughs> so um, when I was ordained in 2000, um, I was associate pastor at Christ the King. I was there for three years with Father Tom Nguyen. It was a really good experience. And then I, um, in 2003, I was transferred to... Uh, being the associate pastor at St. Bernard of Clairvaux with Father Bernie Jewett. It was a great experience as well. And then I, um, I during that time, I was a, a one-day-a-week chaplain at Bishop Kelly High School. Um, I did that for six years, and then I became a full-time chaplain uh, after leaving St. Bernard's. And then uh, Bishop, asked, Bishop Slattery asked me to be the pastor, my first time to be a pastor at St. Clement of Rome in Bixby. And I was still actually for one more year part-time chaplain at Kelly during that time. And then I was there at St. Uh, Clement's for three years. And then uh, Bishop asked me to go to Wilberton, Tallahassee, at Clayton. I was there for four years. And then in 2013, I came to Okmulgee and became uh, pastor of St. Anthony of Padua and Uganda Martyrs. And so I'm just uh, finishing up that assignment. And so to answer your question, it's uh, bittersweet, obviously, um, after nine years, you obviously have a very strong connection uh, with folks. It's the longest I've ever been in any place. Um, but you always have deep, 
emotional and spiritual connection with, with all the parishes you serve. And, you know, priests are people, and they have um, emotions, too, that uh, they love their people very much. But at the same time, I feel God is calling me to a new adventure. And I just um, believe that any time a priest is called by God through their bishop to go to a new assignment, it's uh, an act of trust, faith, and hope. And so the priest is leaving a parish or an assignment uh, with mixed emotions, uh, but he's going to a place that God has called him specifically. And he's called that priest and that community to be together for however long it is to be together as the body of Christ, as the church, in a time of blessing. Because God does not send priests out or anyone out without the necessary equipment of grace, fortitude, strength, perseverance, virtue. Uh, doesn't mean that you're not going to be intimidated or afraid or even sometimes doubt, is this God what you really asked me to be a part of? Do you really know who I am? And But as a priest, you trust, obviously, that God knows who you are. You trust that the bishop and the diocese know who you are. And and that allows the priest to go forward full of confidence, hope, and expectation, even though in the midst of sorrow and sadness of leaving those who's become his family and those he loves, that we see in the larger perspective that God is calling us as pastors, as priests, to love everyone as the best we can, but also to be that light of Christ. And so the priest disappears in some sense, is invisible, so that the best of their ability, the priest allows Jesus to be present, whether it's um, having a nice conversation like this or celebrating the Eucharist or other things. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, that's a great, um, humble and obedient attitude going. It it kind of mirrors your first pilgrimage away from Tulsa to go to seminary. Yep. And then here you go, setting out from Oak Monkey to come yep. home, but to a, a new home. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So you'll be a pastor. You'll have the responsibilities of overseeing a school as well. And then on top of that, I know that you have recently, you know, completed this certificate in spiritual direction. Yeah. So what, you know, uh, what is a spiritual director? What do you do as a spiritual director? Um, can people contact you if they're interested in spiritual direction. Um, Talk about that. So a spiritual director uh, can be a priest, a deacon, a sister, a lay person, um, someone who has gone to school for a little while to study in a kind of an ancient tradition. And uh, it goes all the way back to the uh, Abbas and Amas of ancient Egypt. When Christianity was... uh, began to flourish there, you would have individual men and women that would go be uh, hermits, and they would live in caves, and then people would know them for their holiness and virtue and good help and um, discernment. And so um, that kind of understanding of having someone who could lead me and a guide and also um, be a companion, a spiritual guide along the way was a tradition that was kind of founded that moved uh, to the West uh, later on. And so you see that grow up in monasteries, and you see that grow up in parishes later on when they, um, later in their development. And, and so what it was, maybe so in the, in the past, it was a person who knew Scripture really well, or someone who really uh, identified and exhibited Christ-like 
uh, actions and, vir- and virtues to help another person uh, maybe didn't know as much, was having a difficult time to make progress. And so uh, today in, in the Catholic Church, uh, the spiritual director is one who uh, is a companion, but God is the spiritual director. And so the priest is one who is listening to the person, the directee, and also listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to God, what God is saying about this and how God is present in this person's life where they may not be seeing it. They think God has abandoned them. And so they're going through the struggle and they're frustrated or they're going through this kind of desert experience. They don't feel like much is happening or I feel distracted during prayer. I I just... I feel the separation from God, or, oh, I'm so on fire, I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm going to explode. What does God want me to do with all of this? And so the uh, spiritual director, first of all, is a, a listener and uh, is uh, pays attention to the movements of the spirit sensitivities and reception, kind of the, uh, the effects of what the person is going through. And then... Um, you know, maybe discusses it with a person, offers a couple points of support and a couple points of even challenge sometimes to maybe look at something differently. Um, and so that's kind of, in a nutshell, what a spiritual director does. Is there a, a I don't know, list or a um, directory of spiritual directors for any given area? There might be. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if we no. have one right now. Yeah. There are a few uh, priests around. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I do know... Because I had a, a parishioner who was looking, mm-hmm. they did contact the diocese, and they do have a list. Oh, okay. okay. Well, they did. Yeah. So if we, if you are listening to this, you might try contacting the diocese or your pastor or someone at the parish who's on staff. They might be able to direct you. Certainly, mm-hmm. their spiritual directors over at St. Joseph Monastery mm-hmm. here in Tulsa and... Um, I'll give a shout out to the School of Lexio Divina, which yeah. um, uh, that I help teach at. It's a great way to make contact, and we teach. You know, we start. We talk about the Amas and Avas. You know, so uh, anyway, I I love spiritual direction. I value it. I you know couldn't do life without it. So yeah. I'm glad that people are being trained in the diocese sure. and providing that to people. Well, so we've talked, we've kind of gone deep because that yeah. you just, that, that's just, I think just your personality uh, draws that out of people, which makes you a good spiritual director. But I'll, before we switch over to how you pray, uh-huh. what do you do for fun? Oh, yes. Well, I like to uh, hang out with family and friends and priest friends and uh, parishioners too, and just to you see how life is going, but I do like to read. I also like movies, uh, like to travel. I, uh, I write occasionally, and I also paint, and sometimes uh, do some work with ceramics. Uh, so kind of a variety of things. I, I love music. I love Celtic music yeah. and uh, Broadway shows and things like that. Awesome. Well, you'll certainly be closer, I guess, to the... Yeah. Tulsa's offerings for all that. Yeah. So, what? Well, so you went to Saint Meinrad Seminary. Yep. That is a Benedictine. It is. place. Has the Benedictine um, style of prayer, the Ora at, at Labora. Yeah. Has that um, translated to you? Oh, most definitely. Um, I guess I'm an introvert, so I uh, I really take on the uh, meditation, contemplation, uh, kind of. Um, 
model sent up by St. Benedict, and the prayer and work is an important uh, connection. So, yes, I, I definitely, um, I kind of think about <laughs> uh, prayer in a variety of different ways. Imagery is very important to me. Uh, and so I, I think it's important, not just as a priest, but as anyone who has a relationship with God, do you look at the one you love with one dim- a one-dimensional perspective? They're, they're only my wife or only my husband. Uh, they're only the uh, part, you know, parent of our children. Or do you see them as someone who had a life before that, that you know, grew up in a family of six people, or, uh, or they, uh, they, they came from this country or this culture? And so I think our relationship with God necessarily includes uh, kind of a con- contemplative part of our lives, even if we're not introverted, we're extroverted. St. Ignatius of Lyula kind of came up with this idea of the uh, the kind of con- contemplative way of life, of walking around in kind of a contemplative mind frame, not ignoring the world, but inviting the world in and being embraced by the world, but living in the kind of perspective that what I'm about is uh, where is God present in this moment? And how can I respond to that? And how, what is God doing? And what is God, God not doing? What are the uh, consolations of what I'm doing or the desolations of what if I'm doing? And, you know, for me, uh, just because of my thinking sometime, I see um, God who loves us makes us good to spend our entire life exploring his love in this world. Exploring his love is everything. Uh, It's our ability to know him, our ability to recognize him, to respond to him joyfully, wholeheartedly, and to continue to grow in that. You know, I've never been married, but from what married folks say, they they desire to fall more and more in love with each other every day. In a similar way, that's with God. You know, the more we know God, we can't help but for, fall more in love with him. And the more we are in love with him, the more we want to know him. And so it, it, it by, for me, being a priest, um, is his own reward. I don't need any thanks, although it's nice occasionally. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to say I don't need any money, but I do need to pay for some things. But in itself, the gratification, the uh, goodness, comes from the very act of, of being obedient and faithful to God. And in my way, not someone else's way, but authentically who I am. And so the more we are in love with God, the more we develop our intimate relationship with God, the more God tells us who we are. And um, he'll help us know who we are, both what our talents and gifts are, and also those blind spots and weaknesses that we have. Um, I do not think, however, that God only wants us to practice one virtue at a time. (laughs) I struggle being patient, let's say, and so God's going to give me opportunities to be patient. But at the same time, it's like we are building a house. We have cement, we have nails, we have wood, we have glass. If we were to think about those as virtues, if we're building a house of God of which we desire to dwell in, we need patience, we need fortitude, we need uh, understanding, we need administration, we need joy, we need people who can uh, teach we need people who can inspire, people that can heal. Uh, we need all those things. And so the more deeply we are aware of who we are, how God has made us, the more we're aware, on a positive note, 
of all those graces, all those gifts, all those virtues that God is inviting us to be a part of. And like a bike, sometimes we do this trial and error. We fall over, we get back up, we try again. But every time, hopefully, we're more reliant on God's grace. And the more humble we are, acknowledging our falling, so that God may raise us up and make us stronger. And so I'm all about building these houses of graces and of virtue. Uh, it's okay to practice uh, patience with administration or uh, prayer with uh, joy, you know. And it's just um, God is he's, uh, painting a magnificent masterpiece with our lives. And so many ways... God has given us an open canvas, a blank canvas. He gives us the paints, such as grace, and all of our virtues. And he asks us to paint something that reflects our, our life with him, that helps our brothers and sisters, that makes the kingdom of God more well-known today, better than yesterday, and tomorrow better than today. So you mentioned that you paint. I do. So when you were talking about this kind of image of of. God and prayer and painting. Do you ever paint and pray at the same time? I do. You, yeah. I do. Uh, many times when I do that, I have no image in my mind of what I'm painting. I'm just painting. And it turns out pretty interesting a lot of times. Um, so uh, it's always a surprise to me. I'm not saying it's always great, but it is a surprise. So do you just gather up some colors and... A brush and a canvas. and <laughs> Yep, I do. And sometimes when I don't have time to paint, I uh, draw a pen and ink, a pencil, color pencil, crayon, you know, oil crayons. Um, and would it be in a quiet moment when you're praying? Would you feel like, oh, gosh, I need to, instead of journaling, I need to mm-hmm. draw this? Yep, I do. Um, a lot of times, however, uh, in my past assignments, I've drawn with the kids during art class or CCD when they're working on something. Um, I have, you know, there are times in the past where I've done these things and had, had a great experience doing it. Um, I really felt God's movement in that kind of, by the process of creating art, you're kind of, uh, entering into a mystical life of which art in some ways, uh, reveals a part of that. And so for me, art kind of, the art that I do is an expression of my life with God, my relationship with God. Um, and it says something about that. I love that. St. Anthony Church was really um, built for a contemplative pastor, mm-hmm. I think, because it's uh, uh, in, out in a town called Okmulgee, Oklahoma, and it's a beautiful Romanesque church, those beautiful round-topped arches, just that gorgeous um, simplicity, elegance, and, and there's a spirit of grandeur as well. As well as you've got the prettiest high altar yeah. in the whole diocese. I agree with you. So it's <laughs> it's great. And this is coming from a guy who used to work at Holy Family. Oh. <laughs> but, but Holy Family was um, crushed marble, and yes. St. Anthony is real marble. But the, the standout feature for a contemplative pastor is that in one of the transepts, there's a raised balcony mm-hmm. that is uh, separated by a, a kind of a patio door mm-hmm. from the rectory. And so the the pastor or any priest in residence could step out into the church and pray, and you get a, a full view of the tabernacle, and um, you're in the church. You are. Uh, but you're separated yeah. a little bit. Was, did you ever pray out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. It was really great um, in the early morning. 
uh, but it's also great. Um, um, after a midnight mass for Christmas and after the uh, vigil mass, Easter vigil mass on Saturday, it's really powerful. Yeah. The incense still hanging in the oh, yeah. air and... Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to also mention you got a martyrs is a, a beautiful church yeah. too. Um, and it's, uh, just, uh, both places have their own characters, uh, but both are filled with God's presence. Mm-hmm. And, um, as I think God's presence there because the Eucharist is there, but also because a lot of people have been praying hard for a long time <laughs> in those places and you can, you can feel that. Yeah. Well, you know, you talked about the beauty of prayer, mm-hmm. painting, uh, Ignatian contemplation, um, but sometimes it's difficult to pray. Yeah. Has there been a time in your life when you've found it difficult? Uh, there have been times, yes, um, whether it be in seminary or uh, being ordained, that for me, maybe because I'm stubborn, but... You know, you have this feeling that I am not, I don't feel as close to God, or it's not as fruitful in prayer, or God seems quiet. And um, there's always things you can check on that. Well, if I'm robbing banks, I probably should stop doing that so I can hear God's voice and li- live a life that's worthy of my relationship with God. But everything, go to confession, uh, talk to your spiritual director. And if things just seem quiet and we, I don't know, may grow in agitation or frustration, then that is an opportunity to take that to God. Look, God, I'm trying to listen to you. I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to make progress in these things. And you are quiet. And you seem like you've left me alone. But if we say those things out loud, then we can, after a period of time, after experience, we can say, I'm just saying it's all about me. I'm trying to accomplish something here. I'm not making progress. Why are you, God, not holding your end up in this deal? <laughs> when really what God may be saying to us by his silence, and which causes us frustration, is that you're talking too much. <laughs> your heart is not silent. Your mind is racing. I just want to be with you as my child, as my son or daughter, that I may embrace you in this silence, that you may be calmed rather than agitated, but you won't let me. I'm trying to answer your questions. I'm trying to embrace you, love you, heal you, forgive you, but you are not, you're restless. You're not at rest. And so that makes us, you know, think about, oh, yeah, I guess I was. You know, and sometimes it can be simple things. Someone took my parking spot uh, or someone said something to me that was kind of a dig that I'm not sure if they meant it or not, but they probably did because I'm not very valuable to anyone and I'm not very important to anyone. So it's just, you know, we go down those rabbit holes of self-destruction, which are not true. God doesn't say that about us. He says quite the opposite. And so in our spiritual lives, uh, we mature just like anything else, you know, uh, trial and error. But we do have to show up to prayer. We do have to show up through the relationship because if we don't, then we will not be able to hear God's voice and we will not be able to see his actions. And we will, you know, we won't sense his love. And it's, it's not all about 
you know, check things off. But if we do not show up to our families for real relationship, real communication, then they're going to miss us and we're going to miss them. And so the, the highest priority is our, hopefully our relationship with God. Although there's, there are distractions and we get interrupted and we're not perfect. So in a sense, the best we can do, the minimal we can do, is just come and be with him. Maybe not say anything. And it's perfectly okay. I like that. We just have to show up. At the very least. I mean, it'd be nice to... Yeah, Yeah, I'm a minimalist, so no. Well, I'm just joking. No, I mean, and I I loved how you phrased that. How did you say that again? Sometimes it seems as if God is quiet. Mm -hmm. That's a really good way to say it. I appreciate that. Well, we're almost about to wrap up our podcast. We always ask our guests one final question, Mm -hmm. which is... If you could ask all of our listeners to join you in praying for one intention, one prayer intention, what would that be? I I think because I'm not going to ask my parishioners or other people to do something I'm not willing to do myself. I want, I, I think it'd be important to ask with everything going on, peace is important, but we have a greater desire to be obedient to God. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, would you lead us in a glory be? We can pray sure. for just that. Yep. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As, As it, it was, was in, in the beginning, beginning is now, now, and, and ever shall be, be world, world without end. end. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Josh. Thank My pleasure. You. That was God bless excellent. you. Thank you so much. Glory be is a production of the Office of Communications at the Church of St. Mary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm your producer, Mike Malcolm. See you next time.